0: And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today?
1: Today, our show is very exciting. We are going to be welcoming on our show an expert and another Leonardo da Vinci, a real renaissance man. And his name is Robert Edward Grant. And he is the founder and CEO of Crown Sterling. And he is also the founder and chairman and CEO of Strasby Crown. Yeah. So we're going to find out a lot about him. But I think what's exciting is I wanted to talk about one of the quotes that he said, because on this show, We always talk about privacy being so important, and without privacy, there is really no freedom. And he says, freedom now lies in the sovereignty of your digital domain. So that's a great way to start, Robert. Why do you say that?
2: Well, I think we live in an age today that is, we're being inundated, and our data is being taken from us so obsequiously, like nobody knows that it's being taken. I'll give you an example. I was talking with my wife the other day and she said she wanted to buy a peloton bicycle um, so that we could put it in our home gym and i went on instagram and the next time i went on instagram the first thing that came up was an ad for a peloton bicycle (laughs) stationary bikes and i can't be the only person experiencing this i think that you know we have so many ways now whether it's your nest cameras are at home or whether it's uh, you know so you can watch your kids but you know, those are great. Those conveniences are wonderful, but they all come at a cost. And the cost is we have these contracts of adhesion, which basically says that, you know, so you can get on a website, you sort of agree to give away uh, all of your, your data. And, and I I just don't think people are really realizing how important this is. You know, the data industry today is the most viable industry in the world. It's just surpassed oil as the most valuable industry in the world. And, That is being held by only a handful of companies because those companies have control over your data. It's not that the data, and this is what's really unique about this, you know, um, normally those assets that are most scarce in the world become the most valuable. But in this particular case, data is infinite. And so why is it the most valuable thing? It's sort of breaking rules of Adam Smith or Keynesian economics. And I think what's really going on is it's not about the data itself. It's the control of that data. And the control of that data is going to determine, uh, you know, determinants of power in kind of what's called a a Michael Porter's five forces analysis. And I think that the consumers right now just aren't armed with either the knowledge and technology is moving so quickly that they just don't have choices and alternatives on how to safeguard their data. And, um, you know, we want to all go on the website and we all want to understand, you know, the benefit that we get from the Internet and all this, you know, data at our fingertips world that we live in. But the truth is we don't realize the quid pro quo that we're making, that we're making a trade off and that trade off is turning into tremendous value for a very small minority. Whereas, you know, the people that are delivering that value are doing it ostensibly for free.
1: Yes. And I think even the consumers who do understand it feel impotent. Like, what can we do? They don't even have the ability to do something. So I think that's kind of like where your company comes in. So let's talk a little bit about what you've developed and then we're going to go back and find out about all these incredible things you do. But I I just think it's really important that people understand, you know, what, what is crown sterling all about?
2: Sure. So, um, Basically, we are the first company that's dedicated to data sovereignty for consumers. And uh, we have created a new encryption technology called Time AI, which is intended to be an app uh, eventually for consumers. There will also be an enterprise side of this, a government side of this as well, military, et cetera. But for the consumer segment, it's all about data sovereignty. And uh, today, most people have heard of encryption, but they don't really understand how encryption could be utilized. Right. or even where to turn if they wanted to adopt encryption. There's a lot of hardware requirements uh, that come along with it. We may know about some chat uh, sort of programs or apps that could be encrypted. But what we've created is a system that encrypts everything in your life. So it protects you, mm-hmm. and it also allows you to decide if and when you want to share your data, if at all.
1: Right. Yeah. So that's that's really helpful because, you know, when we talk about – you were talking about control –
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the way that we have talked about privacy in recent years is the ability to have some control over who sees your data, who collects it, right. you know, when they destroy it. And so we've never really been able to do that with notice and choice. It's all been, okay, we've got your data. We just want you to know we've got it and we're not going to tell you too much about it. And, of course, we have this new California uh, consumer privacy law, which will give us some more of this control, but nothing compared to what your company is going to be doing.
2: Well, I mean, if you think about it, let's say, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up in a neighborhood where we could leave our back door and front door open. Right? Okay. We leave it unlocked. Right. But in today's world, the first thing you have to do when you know that there's like theft going on in your neighborhood is be able to lock your doors. Right. The first step in that process from a digital perspective, is that we need to be able to lock down the continued proliferation of your data going out in, in, in situations that you don't know about. So, so basically that's where we come in. And that's why we decided to create a new encryption. And this new encryption technology is what will safeguard your data from going out to any other parties. Now, this will be true for social media, it'll be true for all kinds of different aspects of your life, uh, you know, your stored data as well as IOT, which is the Internet of Things, you know nest cameras at your house. Eventually, it'll be able but to- data,
1: Financial data, which is really data, important.
2: Yeah. Right, and so we see this as a just gigantic opportunity, and a, a, quite frankly, a, a major necessity for consumers, because consumers just don't even know. You know, look, today, yeah. the total market for encryption is, uh, if you include all the answer services and everything else that goes along with it, about $500 billion. But Can consumers even name one encryption where they could turn to and buy it as a consumer and utilize it? And I think most people will be challenged to answer that question in the affirmative. And we want to be that brand name that is known uh, for consumers to be able to have an alternative to safeguard their data.
1: Right, right. You know, I encrypt everything that I send to my clients as a lawyer and I have to teach my clients, you know, the pa- the password for the case and that they can do it. But I can tell you in dealing with doing training for other attorneys as an MCLE provider, hardly any of them use encryption. And you know, the kinds of data that we collect as lawyers, it just baffles me. So this would be really wonderful for lawyers and accountants. They also need to have that Easy encryption, easy—you know—an app that's easy and something that's really viable. So, yeah, I think it's great.
2: Well, I, I mean, to go back I mean, though
1: a little bit to you because um, I am calling you the Leonardo da Vinci of our age. You're you're a musician, you're a mathematician, you have patents, you're an artist, a sculptor. <laughs> How did this all come about, Robert?
2: <laughs> well, first of all, uh, you're way too kind, and I would not be calling myself that by any stretch, but, uh, but thank you. Um, basically, I you know since I was a child, I was always interested in a lot of different things. I always consider myself kind of a, a jack of all trades and, and maybe a master of none, and I reveled in the idea of not being a master in any one because I felt like the more I would become hyper-specialized in one area, the more it would close off other vistas and other opportunities in other areas. Mm-hmm. And as an example when I was in college I was a, I had a music scholarship for performance arts and I decided you know <laughs> when I was 23 years old that I had to drop my music major because while I was pretty good I didn't think I was going to be able to be good enough to make a career of it and raise a family and so I put away my tendencies toward music and I I sort of like reviled against it even for many years and I didn't even admit that I was a musician because every time that I would, you know, it would come up as a topic, it would remind me that I made this choice away from it. And so I didn't really want to talk about it because I was not really happy about the choice, I guess. And then as you get older in life, you know, a lot of the things that you put away, I'm sure you probably experienced this as well. A lot of the things you put away and said, that's not who I am. uh, They tend to come back and they sometimes come back with a vengeance and they say, you know, I just turned 50 this year. And so I'm as much musician today as I ever was. And I also started getting very heavily into arts and and uh, and very heavily into sciences as well. I studied business and I went to MBA school, and did did quite well in my career. And so, luckily, I kind of got to a stage in my life where I could pursue some of these other things that I really had always wanted to. And some would call it hobbies, uh, but I think it's gone a little bit past hobby for me on on some levels. But um, you know, I think that being able to see how all the dots connect between math, music, art, and science actually gives you a unique perspective to see how you can find language that connects all of them. And that's another thing that's been big for me is that I've lived in nine countries. And so the fastest way I could learn a culture would be to learn the language. So I learned several languages and the languages also helped me, I think, probably think differently and see problems from a totally different perspective. You know, In Korea, for example, they think backwards because they speak Backwards compared to the English language. You know, it's not I am going to the store, it is I going to the store am. Hmm. Right? Or you know, it basically changes. The subject the yeah, and the right.
1: mm-hmm.
2: It's subject, object, verb rather than subject, yeah. verb, object. And so
0: yeah.
2: it forces you to kind of think backwards on things. And then after you do that enough times, you don't even realize you're thinking backwards anymore. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and all those really, I love the way you talk about it, all blending together. And I notice in my lifetime too, as I've had all these different experiences and different kinds of things, that they they blend together and they do have a new, unique meaning for me in my life, like you do. You know, I mean, math and uh, science and all the things that you've done, language, all of those are, you know, really using both sides of the brain. So yeah. it makes a lot of sense to me that you're just kind of going from right brain, left brain, all brain. <laughs> so it makes a lot of sense to me. Too. You know, it's
2: it's 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 interesting because I think we have this connective tissue that's right in the center of our brain that connects to the right and left lobes of the right. brain. Right. And this is called the corpus callosum. And interestingly, women are they, they tend to have very, large corpus, colopsum, very yeah. large corpus callosum, very large corpus callosum tissue compared to men. As men are more, uh, maybe the stereotype holds. I don't know. Either we think or we feel. We don't generally feel and think at the same time. Mm. And whereas I think women are just naturally better at, at doing some of these things—you know, both thinking and feeling at the same time. Mm. Probably a le- evolutionary aspect of this. But um, but when and I think
1: that's changing too. I think, I think men so. are becoming much more in touch with their feelings and their. You know, I I see it more and more myself so I think that's good that we can all
2: I think it's it's good because you know one of the big challenges for society is is to sort of like accept you know as an individual your your place in life and who you are as a person and Mm -hmm. I really don't believe that the reason why the world is bad is because we have lots of sin and because people hate each other I think most of the challenges we face in the world is is largely because people don't like themselves and and I think that reflects on everyone around them, their interactions, their perceptions of things. Uh, what one person might perceive as absolutely a happy-go-lucky experience in a nice life, another person might be completely dissatisfied with the exact same experience. So you can't step away from your bias that you have in looking at the world. And the more you are you know, not pigeonholed into one specialty, whether it's like mathematics or science, mm-hmm. um, where you could be very hyper-specialized, I think the, the more philosophical and broad approach allows you to see problems from a wholly different perspective and allows you to, to probably accept things as they are um, better, and, and also maybe perceive them in the positive light that would be- most benefit you.
1: And that's pretty much mindfulness and being conscious and aware so, yeah, I love that because I, I teach mindfulness and it really blends with the kinds of things that we're talking about is, yeah, being aware of yourself, being aware, you know, your emotional intelligence. Uh, there's so many exciting things that are going on at the same time that all the challenges are going on. So, yeah, it's, it's great.
2: Well, we live in a hyper-polarized society, right? Yeah, and society is yeah. nothing more than, in my opinion, a, a reflection of what's happening at, you know, the collective individual level. Yes. And, you know, you can kind of see that society right now is so polarized. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because we tend to think it's bad, right? That you've got mm-hmm. this really hyper-polarization, whether it's politics. But, you know, I, I tend to look at things more from a holistic perspective. So as I looked at, you know, politics, for example, we tend to think of right-wing and we tend to think of left-wing. Whether you're yeah. a Democrat or a Republican doesn't matter mm-hmm. to me. But as you start going to the far ends of those extremes, right in polarity you could have communism on the far left and you right. can have fascism on the far right but right. If i asked someone to explain to me the difference between how fascism actually looks in a governance model yeah. compared and whether the difference is from communism right. Right, as a governance model i think you would have a hard time saying whether you know north korea for example actually is manifesting as a communist regime or as a fascist regime right the two are very close together so i see it more like a circle
0: yeah. uh,
2: or a sphere and sometimes when you walk left you know you walk west you end up east and you walk north <laughs> you end up south and we tend to go in circles it's not the world's not so linear as we tend to try to bucketize it we mm-hmm. try to try to we, we try to make judgments we try to uh, dissociate ourselves from our own bias
0: mm-hmm. but
2: you know, scientific experimentation proves it that it is virtually impossible to remove the
1: observed
2: yep. scientific experiment from the experiment itself. Right. We right. have an impact on everything. So what we expect ends up becoming what ends up turning out from our own perception.
1: Yep. We create our reality. But let me ask you something. Let's get a, bit, a little bit back to you. You were in the healthcare industry for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I in technology. So, wh- what about that? H- how do you feel about that? And how do they relate? And how are they different?
2: You know, it's interesting. I, I worked because I chose to go into healthcare. Um, but at Strasby, you know, we have 15 different companies in our portfolio, and and they span healthcare, energy, fintech, and and you know, now with Crown Sterling, we've just gone into security. Um, you know, each of these industries have a shared common denominator and that is heavy regulation, right? We tend to uh, focus on markets uh, when we create companies and create, you know, new startups. We tend to focus on markets that are heavily regulated, have very high barriers to entry and everyone is going in the same direction that happens to be kind of away from the needs of the customer. Mm. So I, I spent about a week or so on Richard Branson's Island twice. And and the first time I was there in 2010, I'd asked him, how does he choose which, you know, companies to start? Because he has many companies and how does he choose which industries to go into? And he's had some epic successes and a few, you know, very significant failures too, as any entrepreneur does. Sure. And he said, you know, it's pretty simple. I tend to go into industries where there's very little regulation. And I said, well, hang on a minute, you have an airline there's like FAA and everything. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> airlines is not so difficult. It's, it's the unions that makes it difficult. It's not the regulation. Right, right. If you can have an airline, you can build it to success. And if you can sell it before it ends up with a union, then, then basically you could probably be successful because unions can really hurt this business. Right. And, and, and I started thinking to myself, hmm, you know, I looked at all of his examples with the exception of airlines. They're pretty much all examples where there was very little regulation. Uh, He had Virgin Galactic as well, uh, and that's new frontier type of stuff, some regulation there.
1: Yeah.
2: But I started thinking, well, why not do something very similar, but focus on industries that are highly regulated, and then find the thing that sort of flips an industry upside down that also benefits the customer. Yes. when everyone's going away from the customer, we go towards the customer. And as long as we chart that course and stay anchored to that vision of benefiting our customer, then generally it's hard to kind of screw up. You know, you have operational sort of execution challenges that everybody faces in starting a business, but assuming you can get capital for your business, assuming you can, you can build a good business plan and you can attract a great team around it. It doesn't really matter what industry you go into. Uh, There are nuances that are different with each industry, but Mm -hmm. in fact, uh, the same types of things exist. The same, key opinion leaders within the industry exist, the same types of sort of gatekeepers exist within industries and identifying them quickly where you can have pitfalls and mistakes I think mm-hmm. is, is true whether you're in healthcare or fintech or security or energy. Okay. And So that's kind of been our general operating philosophy. And as long as we're focused solely on the customer and you know, not being so hyper-specialized in one industry allows us to really take a step back and think differently about the customer. How do we benefit the customer? What is it the customer needs? What would I want as a customer? Right, right. And, and when, you, when you practice that sort of commercial empathy, then great ideas generally come out. Now you'll face obstacles, there might be regulation that says no, that's not possible. And sometimes you may have to take on gargantuan tasks, to try to get regulation moved in benefit towards the consumer. Or whoever it is that your customer is, but you know we we tend to look at all businesses in a very similar light, which is how do you disrupt those industries in a, in a in a way that will benefit customers, and that's been our general thesis, and, and we're sticking to it because it seems to work. Now going into this this most recent uh, foray of uh, you know our entry into security has been an interesting. Um, entrance for us because, you know, it's something that I would not have thought I was ever going to do. I I never, if you'd asked me four years ago or even two years ago, uh, you know, one day, do you want to start an encryption company? I would have probably said, why why would I want to start an encryption company? It makes no sense whatsoever. Well, the world changes. You start to realize, and as a consumer, I started realizing, well, wait, you know, I'm giving all this data for free. There should be some exchange and I should be able to have a say so. Yes. you know, when I'm making quid pro quo contracts right. with, uh, with Facebook or with Instagram or whatever. And so basically, uh, what really became the catalyst for this was that I was working with one of our companies in the energy sector on trying to find a connection between electromagnetism and gravity uh, numerically using number theory and mathematics and geometry.
1: Anti gravity
2: stuff? Oh, uh, yeah, more like free energy stuff. Oh, More okay. energy stuff. Okay. So, um, you know, over unity energy or what's called vacuum fluctuation energy.
1: Fun.
2: So I was working on this with this team. And um, in the process, I discovered a prime number pattern. Right. And so I discovered this prime number pattern. And I knew that, you know, from the time I was in junior high, the prime numbers were sort of enigmatic because they, they could not be predicted. They didn't know where prime numbers would be. And so all the world's encryptions are built on, on this notion of the unpredictability of prime numbers. And mm-hmm. then the, the, what's called the discrete logarithm, which means that it takes a computer a really long time to find two prime factors of a given product. Mm. So all the world's encryption is just a simple math equation. A times B equals C. Yeah. No more difficult than that. And you, you have C is the encryption and the banks publish that number. And then A and B, Become the two numbers that are the private keys, but to search for those numbers on a very large number Mm string takes thousands of years on standard computing.
0: Right.
2: So uh, when I discovered the prime number pattern, then some of my you know sort of tech friends started telling me that, well, wow, you realize that this is going to cause a problem for encryption, Uh for factor-based encryption, and and I didn't even know that because I didn't even they
1: could decrypt more easily, right? If they they know know
2: that. decrypt more easily. And so I, I started looking into it, and, it, you know, it was no longer a hobby at that stage. Then I started looking at it from the perspective of what are the impacts of this? And, you know, I realized then that the current encryption paradigm had not changed since 1978. Wow. And what tech industry has not had a new paradigm since 1978?
0: None. Right. So, Right. So all
2: of, all that's happened is they keep increasing the size of the keys. They call them public key, public key cryptography.
0: Right.
2: So you have like thirty-two bit, becomes sixty-four bit, then one twenty-eight, then two fifty-six, then right. five twelve, then ten twenty-four, right, and then twenty forty-eight. And you have all these different scale of keys, but it's still the same math equation.
0: Yeah. It
2: depends on the time it takes to factorize. And so so when I realized that the discovery that we had made and published. Um, might have a significant impact on the way encryption is is done then i thought we had some sort of responsibility to at least come up with a new solution
1: right right because the, the bad guys surely will work very hard in all that decryption and they'll get it done with all the banks and security mm-hmm. and it could be really a disaster
2: that's right yeah. so, so that's why i i you know, I decided to, to go into the encryption field to create a new encryption that's not at all factor based. So not based on the A times B equals C equation, but instead based on an infinite oscillating series of, of irrational mathematical constants that are, are going, you know, like pi has a infinite string behind it. Right. And these numbers can oscillate very rapidly and be driven by artificial intelligence. So you know, Do artificial you patent intelligence.
1: On this? Do you have a patent on it? Yeah,
2: we have file patents on this, yes. But um, you know, it will take probably another year or so, uh, two years, maybe even to, to, to find out if we're going to get a patent issued from the Patent Trademark Office. But, but basically, we feel very strongly about the, the strength of our intellectual property that we have filed. And, yes. and we'll, see, we'll see how the you know, PTO does with us, Patent Trademark Office. Yeah. So, so this is
1: really a great protection, not only for consumers, but for companies as well, you know, when we talk about Equifax, which is a huge company that had the huge security breach and so many mm-hmm. other financial institutions and others and, and even the IRS.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's um, pretty bad when the IRS gets hacked, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And then
2: you've, got, you've, got all those, um, you've got all those state governments right now that are getting ransomware. Yes. Right, where someone will come and steal all their data and then say, if you want it back, you got to pay me $10 million. Right.
1: It's, it even happens to attorneys, you know, at a smaller level and accountants. So, yeah, I mean, it's bad for the big companies, but even the little guys are getting hit as well. I'm hearing yeah. about that. So, so yeah, this would be uh, a major transformation. So I noticed you put together an incredible team on your website of all these people with different backgrounds, and a lot of them with math, and uh, it's just amazing. So have you actually rolled this out, or can um, people you know start getting are, it, or what? We,
2: we plan to launch the product before the end of the year. And, um, and so we have kind of have a, a major launch coming up at a conference uh, called Money 2020.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And we also have some other things coming up here in Orange County as we kind of do our coming out activities. Uh, mm-hmm. But we're very excited about Time AI, and we're very excited about this new paradigm of being able to use ai driven encryptions and you know there's a lot of industries right now that ai is taking over right and i
1: just want to mention that ai for those of you who are listening that aren't familiar with that it's artificial intelligence and that's that's huge right now in terms of you know machine learning machine doing okay i just Well want
2: it's to- just it's just one of those areas that encryption seems like a totally logical approach to be thinking about ai as a complement for it right yeah. because A.I. can do things so fast, can do things so significantly with numbers, and it can learn. Imagine encryption that learns every time it's attacked. Right. And it gets smarter.
1: How to avoid the attack.
2: That's right. (laughs) So it it can increase, like a biological organism, it can increase its own defense.
1: Wow. Would you believe, gosh, we could talk all day. It's Amazing. So I don't. I hate to cut you off, but it is really time to go. So again, I'd like you to give your website, Robert, and I just want sure. to just remind my audience that we have been speaking with Robert Edward Grant. He is the founder and CEO of Crown Sterling. He's a Renaissance man, artist, musician. He does patents, and oh my goodness. So I think it's very exciting that he's right here in Newport Beach, Orange County, California. We're so thrilled to have you join us. And so give your website and then it's time to go.
2: Sure, it's www.crownsterling.io to learn about Time AI. There's a great video on there you can see. And uh, I'll look forward to seeing you again soon, I hope. Yes, thank you. Thanks so much. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.